Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man. who's called Mal Evans. who's was on roadie. And uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane. And he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, Alan Dershowitz is one of the most celebrated lawyers in the world. He was the youngest full professor in Harvard Law School history, where he is now the Felix Frankfurter Professor of Law Emeritus. He's the author of numerous best-selling books, from chutzpah to guilt by accusation to the case against impeaching Trump to the best defense to reversal of fortune, which was made into an Academy Award-winning film, to defending Israel. Dershowitz has advised presidents and prime ministers and has represented many prominent men and women, half of them pro bono. He is currently writing a new book about the Israeli-Hamas conflict, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism, which is available for pre-order now on Amazon.com and will be published on December 5th. Alan, it's a great honor to have you with us, and I want to really thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Well, it's a great honor to be on with you. You were a tremendous member of Congress. We always had differences, but I always respected your integrity and your principles. Well, and you just do an amazing job on television, really communicating clearly about the law. I suspect you must have been just an amazing professor throughout your career in terms of your students staying awake and actually being intrigued by your presentations. When I retired after 50 years, the students gave me a little cake and it said, never boring. <laughs> That's great. Well, before we talk about the new book you're writing, I thought we could go back to your book, The Case for Israel, which was published in 2004 as a response to common criticisms of Israel and a defense of Israel's rights. Could you put together the case for Israel in a way that knocks down these anti-Semitic assaults? case for Israel is so simple. The Jews, of course, biblically lived in what is today Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, for thousands of years. They were expelled by the Romans, but there were always Jews there. And in the late 19th century, political Zionism was a response to horrible anti-Semitism all through Europe. 
and individual Jews began to move to what was then called Palestine. The Romans gave it the name Palestine, and they built the country. The country was very, very barren. Mark Twain had talked about it being an empty place. The Israelis built the kibbutzim and built wineries, attracted a lot of Arabs from Egypt and from Syria to move. They're now the Palestinians. And of course, the British decided to divide the country into two, a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Jews accepted it. The Arabs rejected it. UN did the same thing in 48. The Arabs rejected it, went to war with Israel. Then the Arabs went to war with Israel in 67 and 73. Israel offered a two-state solution so many times, and it's been rejected. The case for Israel is as strong as the case for any Western democracy. Why do you think it's been such a steady buildup of hostility to Israel's even right to exist? Well, the Palestinians are very lucky. They have Jews as their enemy. The Kurds aren't so lucky. There are more Kurds. They have a stronger case for a state. They were promised the state by various treaties, but they're oppressed by the Syrians, by the Turks, by various other Arab countries. And so nobody cares about the Kurds. Nobody cares about the Uyghurs who are oppressed. They're Muslims and they're oppressed by China. But because the Palestinians are allegedly oppressed by the nation state of the Jewish people, it's just a new variation of the oldest of prejudices, namely anti-Jew hatred, anti-Semitism. That's the basic reason for it. Otherwise, the two countries could live in peace. A two-state solution was certainly viable in 1938, 48, 67, etc. When Israel left the Gaza Strip in 2005, they unburied their dead to make sure that no Israeli stayed behind. There wasn't a single Israeli, not a single policeman. And Hamas took over Gaza by a brutal revolt, killed many of the Palestinian leaders, and turned it into a terrorist state. How you have college students today supporting Hamas is remarkable, but it's not surprising. In Harvard and Yale, back in the 1930s, there were groups of students who vocally supported Hitler, who vocally supported Nazi Germany. Harvard welcomed delegations from Germany, including from a ship that landed in Boston Harbor with a big swastika on it. It sent the delegation to a Nazi university that had just fired all of its Jewish professors. So, you know, it's not surprising that students are attracted to extremist groups like Nazis and Hamas. And the difference between Nazis and Hamas is too subtle for me to understand. They both want to kill Jews. They both want to end the Jewish presence in the land that they thought was rightfully theirs. And shame on universities that don't see the comparison and apply a double standard. Imagine any students who had signed a letter supporting lynching of blacks or shooting into gay bars or raping women. They wouldn't be responded to by the president saying, well, I can't comment because this is a matter of free speech. They would comment, as they did comment on the killing of one black man, George Floyd, filled with drugs, criminal record, and he becomes the basis for an entire reckoning changes of admission standard, changes in curriculum, one man, and now we should have a reckoning for how universities are encouraging anti-Semitism and not protecting their Jewish students, but we're not going to see it. It strikes me that a lot of the activity comes under the rubric of hate crimes, and that if somebody's being physically intimidated or assaulted, that in fact the FBI should be involved, as they would be if it was somebody who was transgender or somebody who is black? 
I have absolutely no doubt about that. The schools have a completely double standard when it comes to Jews. There's this concept called intersectionality, which is, oh, if you're oppressed, you deserve to be supported no matter what. And if you're the oppressor, you deserve to be attacked no matter what. It makes no sense at all. And we're seeing a destruction of American universities. And it's not only affecting Israel and Jews, it's our future. These students who are supporting beheadings and supporting rapes and supporting murders, they're going to be our future leaders. They're graduating from Harvard and Yale and Stanford and University of North Carolina and Duke, and they're going to be our future leaders. And the schools are teaching them in the classroom this kind of hard left-wing bigotry. You know, I taught for 50 years at Harvard. I never expressed a personal view in a classroom. My job was never to teach the students what to think. It was to teach them how to think. If you came in a conservative, I want you to go out a smarter conservative. If you came in a liberal, I want you to come out a smarter liberal. My job was not to propagandize. It was to educate. But now, of course, it's almost the opposite. If you would actually stand up and try to have a discussion about the truth, you'd immediately be attacked. I have been. I was invited back once to Harvard in 10 years since I retired by a group called Chabad, and they had to move the event off campus for fear of my life, the fear that I would be attacked because I wanted to make the case for Israel. And I make the moderate case for Israel. I was never a big supporter of the civilian settlements. I'm in favor of the two-state solution, but I cannot speak on university campuses. Just the other day, I was invited back to the first campus I've spoken to now in years at Emory University. I had previously been invited to Liberty University before all their scandals broke out. I enjoyed it very much. But today, mainstream colleges, Ivy League colleges, don't want to hear the other side. They don't want dialogue. They don't want debate. You know, the Lincoln-Douglas debates could not occur in America today. Half the country would want to ban Lincoln. The other half would want to ban Douglas. Conversations. I mean, you and I, we disagree about a great many things, but we could sit down in front of college students on TV and have a reasonable conversation in which we agree on some things, disagree on others. I used to do that with Bill Buckley all the time. And at the end, he would frequently make me change my mind because he was so smart. And I would occasionally make him change his mind as well. And he would always appreciate that. We've lost that ability to talk to each other in America today. One of the things we're living through right now, I want to ask you about two things. One is we have this dribbling out of hostages just a little bit at a time, which I think is a deliberate strategy by Hamas to try to slow down the ground campaign. But how would you, I know you wrote an article for the Gatestone Institute recently on the choices of war, Hamas using kidnapped Israelis as human shields. What should Israel do? And you have a pretty clear sense of this, which goes all the way back to former great prime minister and head of the Israeli Defense Force, Yitzhak Rabin. How would you handle the ground war and the hostages? Well, I think hostages have to have a very, very high priority. In terms of the ground war, I would hope that Israel will do it in a very smart way, not fall into the Hamas traps. I think what it's doing from the air is correct, trying to avoid targeting civilians and targeting the heads of Hamas. But nothing Israel does right ever gives them any credit. Look, for example, the hospital in Gaza. They have nothing to do with the hospital in Gaza. Obviously, Islamic Jihad bombed the hospital, probably accidentally, although a journalist recently said the most that was ever accomplished by Islamic Jihad was by bombing and killing Palestinians 
more than by even killing Jews in Israel because the world immediately got behind them and said, oh, it had to be Israel. You know, that's the core, the essence of anti-Semitism. If something wrong happened, blame it on the Jews. It must be the Jews. And that's what's happening. It's happened in the New York Times. They had to apologize for their headline in which they immediately wrote that Israel attacked the hospital. It had nothing to do with it whatsoever. Now we have the best proof. Hamas refuses to turn over any of the fragments of the bombs because they know the fragments of the bombs will show that they came from Islamic Jihad. But they won't do it. They say they disintegrated. Every expert says that bombs dropped, rockets dropped, the metals don't disintegrate. They're there. Hamas went and collected it, picked it up, and refuses to allow it to be seen. But the world, these students who are demonstrating, they're saying that Israel bombed the hospital. Truth has no weight on these kind of demonstrations. So, you know, a lot of Israelis are saying, why should we be so good? Why should we have this highest standard of morality? And nothing do us any good. Even if we had nothing to do with the hospital, they're going to blame us. But Israel should hold itself to the highest standards of the Judeo-Christian religion and best standards of democracy. And it can win this war by complying with the rules of war. And it should, and it, I predict it will. Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path, and now you can own a piece of that history. I'm thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one-ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. 
tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From that perspective, there ought to be a way to go after Gutter and force the Hamas leadership out of the sanctuary they have, because there's no reason that the people who orchestrated, paid for, and structured a terrorist assault that killed 1,400 people should be able to sit comfortably in nice hotels or nice condominiums in Gutter. I mean, shouldn't the United States itself be putting great pressure on Gutter? To have them turned over? Yes. I know the Emir of Qatar. I was his guest. He invited me to the World Cup. I didn't go, but he invited me to lecture. I spoke in Qatar. I met him. I had dinner with him in Donald Trump's hotel in New Jersey. I was trying to persuade him to not take a negative role toward efforts by the Trump administration to make peace. I succeeded. I like him as an individual person, but he tries very hard to play both ends against the middle. And they've only increased their strength by helping get these four hostages out. On the other hand, there should be pressure. Israel should be moving to extradite all the terrorist leaders, or the United States should, because they killed American citizens, too, Instead, you know, I've stayed in these beautiful hotels in Qatar. They're magnificent. The country is a place of luxury. The streets basically are air-conditioned. Everything is wonderful there. And the Hamas leaders ought to be in jail, not to be walking around free in the streets of Qatar. And the United States should be putting pressure on them to do so. But they won't as long as these hostage negotiations go on. The parallel question, where maybe I'm too much of a hawk, but when... 32 Americans are killed and 10 are missing, and that doesn't count the hostages. It strikes me that the Americans have an obligation to protect their own citizens. It would have been reasonable for the Biden administration to have launched some very specific strikes against Hamas to send a signal that when you kill Americans, there's a huge consequence. And yet we did nothing. We did nothing. Actually, I have an idea, which obviously is not going to come into fruition in the immediate future. But the country behind all of this, of course, is Iran. And the Democrats have played footsie with Iran for too long. I broke with Obama over the Iran deal, and I've been very critical of Biden over what he did with Iran. Fortunately, he's frozen the $6 billion now. But I think the United States and Israel should send a message to Iran that they cannot support the killing of Americans as they have. And the message would be through a joint effort to destroy Iran's nuclear capacity. Can you imagine if these surrogate groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, had access to small nuclear weapons, what they could do? And if Iran is allowed to develop a nuclear arsenal, it will change the world for the worse. It will mean that, you know, Iran is like North Korea, except North Korea doesn't have as much ambition to spread terrorism around the world as Iran does. So I think the better reaction of Israel and the United States would be to focus its attention on Iran. It could do it from the air with very, very few, if any, civilian casualties or American or Israeli casualties. 
it takes advantage of the tremendous technological advantages that the United States and Israel have over Iran. But I don't see that on the table at the moment. And I think that's too bad. If it's on the table, it's probably under the table secretly. And maybe that is happening. I would hope it would happen. That would send the most powerful message to Iran. You support terrorism against the United States and Israel at great cost to yourselves. And we're imposing that cost by destroying your nuclear arsenal. Well, of course, you'll remember when Obama had a red line in Syria, which when it was crossed, he just totally walked off, shrugged his shoulders and gave up. Similarly, when Biden has said repeatedly that his message to other players is don't, and we put two nuclear carrier battle groups in the eastern Mediterranean. I mean, the question I have, are these pictures for a postcard or are they, in fact, warships that we are prepared to actually use? Because if we're not prepared to actually use them, then, in fact, we look even weaker for having sent them. I agree. And we've used them already a little bit. Apparently, some of these warships have knocked down rockets being sent from Yemen, from the Houthis in Yemen, at Israel. And I do think that we may see some use of American military in the Middle East, though not troops on the ground. And Israel hasn't asked for troops on the ground. It's just asked for, you know, logistical, material, weapons support, and also diplomatic support. And so I hope that will be forthcoming. Look, the great hope is that we don't have to use our warships, that they will be served as a deterrent. But if, for example, Hezbollah were to attack Israel, I think the warships are positioned in a way that they could send rockets at Hezbollah targets and work jointly with Israel without troops on the ground to destroy Hezbollah, which is as evil as Hamas and much better armed. Well, somebody pointed out that in addition to the aircraft carriers, which is what the focus is always on, that actually the rest of the battle group has over 800 Tomahawk missiles. So their potential capacity to dramatically impact Hezbollah is pretty remarkable if we get to a point where that's necessary. Well, we all hope it won't be necessary. But look, Israel tremendously appreciates America's willingness to stand behind it. You know, just before the 2012 election, President Obama called me to the Oval Office and asked me for his support. And he told me he had Israel's back. I didn't realize that he meant to paint the target on because he used the second to become very anti-Israel, allowing a resolution to go through at the UN, which said that the Western Wall, the holiest site of Judaism, like the Vatican is to Catholics, that the Western Wall is illegally occupied territory, as is the Hebrew University and the Hadassah Hospital. So I broke my relationship with President Obama over his deceptions of me. He got my support. He got me to support him. It was a big mistake. I should have supported Romney in that election. I didn't. I was wrong. And I did it because Obama deceived me. And that broke my personal relationship with him, which went back to the time he was a student at Harvard. I think it's been surprising how much further to the left he went during his presidency. I mean, it seems to me the guy who ran in 2008 wasn't the same as the guy who was president. You're absolutely right. And that's the difference between him and Clinton. Clinton ran as a kind of center-left candidate, and he maintained that position all through his eight years. I think Obama hid his true beliefs. I think his true beliefs are closer to his wife's beliefs, which are much further left. And he maintained his belief through the first term. But once he was reelected, 
he allowed his true left-wing attitudes and anti-Israel attitudes to come out. And for that, I didn't forgive him and I won't forgive him. I've always been a strong believer in the importance of investing wisely. That's why I've personally invested in Legacy Precious Metals. At Legacy Precious Metals, they're not leaving your financial future to chance. They're on a mission to help you secure your financial future post-retirement. In partnership with them, I'm thrilled to announce the launch of the Newt Gingrich contract with America Coin. This limited edition coin is made of one ounce of 99.99% fine silver, commemorating the historic moment when, against all odds, we balance the budget for the last time in U.S. history. This coin isn't just an investment. It's a piece of our nation's history. And now you can own it. As the holiday season approaches, it's the perfect gift. You can purchase yours today by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything. Everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Israelis have mobilized a very significant part of their reserves, but they now have, if my count's right, they have about 360,000 reservists mobilized and about 100,000 regular active forces. In your judgment, is that enough to handle both Gaza and the north? It is, if Israel doesn't have to listen to the international community and make sure that it never takes any action that endangers a single civilian. If it is prepared to fight this war the way the United States fought its total war in 1941 to 1945, when Roosevelt and Churchill said, total surrender, total war, seizures on cities, bombing of cities, and they won the war. Why should Israel 
have one and a half hands tied behind its back. It should be allowed to use its own morality, which is very high, try its best not to kill civilians. But if they use civilian shields, human shields, every death that results in that is a death that's the fault of Hamas. Let me give you just a common example. Let's assume that I go into a bank and I hold it up and the police come and I grab you as a hostage, right? I'm holding you as a hostage and I shoot from behind that hostage and I start killing people in the bank and killing policemen. And a good policeman who has good aim takes aim to try to kill me, but accidentally kills you. I'm sorry, but that's the hypothetical. He accidentally kills you. Who's guilty of murder? Not the policeman who shot the shot, but me, the hostage taker who held you in harm's way. And that is the international law as well. Every time Hamas uses the human shield, it is morally, religiously, politically, and legally responsible for the death that ensues. And the world has to recognize that. Otherwise, it's going to happen over and over again. You know, Hamas has a term for this. They call it the CNN strategy. They kill Israelis. They then induce Israel to fire back. They use human shields. Children die. They then parade the children in front of the CNN cameras. CNN doesn't explain the context. And people start crying and yelling and blaming Israel. In the end result, the international community puts the blame on the victim and rewards the perpetrator. And I have a better name for that. It's called the dead baby strategy. That's what Hamas does. And the world has to recognize that and understand that every one of those deaths is the fault of Hamas. And until they do, it will repeat and repeat and repeat. Would you literally grind your way into Gaza until you could hunt down and destroy every element of Hamas? I hope not, because it will take the death of too many Israeli soldiers and the death of too many Palestinian civilians. I would prefer to see the air and sea war continue, which has tremendous advantage for Israel, but with warnings to civilians. But if civilians die, placing the blame where they have to be placed. I think Israel could do a lot to destroy Hamas from the air and from the sea. Then perhaps surgical strikes at some of the remaining leadership. But going into every tunnel, going into every house is going to be too costly, I think, with Israeli soldiers. But it's a decision Israel has the right to make. And the United States should support that decision, as Israel would support an American decision to do similarly. Remember, we did that in Fallujah. We did that in areas. There were a lot of civilian casualties in Afghanistan and in Iraq, but the military value of the targets was worth it. And proportionality, all proportionality requires is that the value of the military target be proportional to the number of civilians that might die in the process. And Israel complies with that rule, as does the United States. When you look at all that, are you optimistic that we can if we are persistent, destroy Hamas as an effective force? You know, in Israel, they say a pessimist is somebody who says, oh, things are so bad, they can't go wrong, they can't get worse. And an optimist says, yes, they can. I'm convinced things could get worse and they could get better. But I am at bottom optimistic that the Israeli army, notwithstanding its failure of its leadership, to prevent this attack of October 7th, I am convinced that they have the will the determination, the technological advantage to destroy Hamas, but it will take time. There's a myth that they used to tell about Stalin, Hitler, and Churchill, and they were at a conference about how to end the war, 
and a prophet came down and said, there's a little pool here. And the first one who kills the goldfish, the one goldfish in the pool, will win the war. And so Hitler took aim with his gun and missed the goldfish. And Stalin grabbed it with his hand and missed. Winston Churchill took a tablespoon and just started taking the water out of the pool gradually and said, it will take us a long time to kill that goldfish, but we'll get it done. And it will take a long time. This is not something that can be achieved like the Six-Day War or even the 1973 war. This will take months and months, but in the end, I hope there will not be a single general, minister, anybody left from Hamas, just the way that today we've seen how much the enemies of civilization in other groups, al-Qaeda and others, have been destroyed. I hope that Hamas faces the same fate as Osama bin Laden and his groups did. If we could destroy the Hamas infrastructure... How would you then develop a governing element for Gaza? It's very hard. It's very hard. You know, you say Gaza, it could have elections. The last time it had an election, it voted for Hamas in the legislative council. And so, you know, the people who voted for Hamas bear some responsibility for what Hamas did to them and turned them into a terrorist location, which is a perfectly appropriate military target. In the end, I think northern Hamas is going to have to be evacuated and maybe reoccupied. It's not clear. The people of the Gaza will have to come up with a government structure that is not an enemy of Israel. Maybe they can join together with the Palestinian Authority. But today, if you had an election in the West Bank, Gaza and the West Bank, Hamas would win. That's why Mohammed Abbas doesn't want to have elections. He has been serving his four-year term for the last 14, 15 years. And he knows what would happen if there were a fair and open election, if there is such a thing even in that part of the world. But Hamas would win. And so there's no easy solution to this problem. It's sort of remarkable that overwhelmingly the Arabs who are in Israel have no interest in moving to either the West Bank or Gaza and seem to significantly prefer being governed within a peaceful and prosperous democracy where they have seats in the Knesset and where they have remarkably relevant freedom of speech. And yet, on the two fronts, in the West Bank and in Gaza, there's such a depth of hatred that this is a real challenge how you're going to unlock this. The Arabs that have the most freedom anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, are the Arabs who live in Israel. The second group that has the most freedom, not as much as the people who live in Israel, are the Arabs who live on the West Bank in the so-called occupied territory. They have much more freedom than Arabs in Jordan and in Egypt and in Syria and in Lebanon. The Arabs who have the least freedom, of course, are in Gaza, but that's of their own making because they voted for them. So Israel lives in a very bad neighborhood and it has to do what it can and it did for a while. It looked like there was peace. It looked like maybe the Saudis would make peace with Israel. The Abraham Accords were a wonderful development. I played a tiny, tiny, tiny role in some of the processes of the Trump administration. All my liberal friends hated me for working with the Trump administration, but I will work with any administration in order to achieve peace in the Middle East. But then I think Hamas saw that peace was coming. It saw that maybe the Saudis would make peace. And it generated this attack 
explicitly, explicitly to end any prospects of peace. And one more point I want to make. You see all these demonstrations today on college campuses and the streets all over the world, and CNN always describes them as pro-Palestine demonstrations. There hasn't been a single pro-Palestine demonstration anywhere in the world since October 7th. They're all anti-Israel. They're not pro-Palestine. They're anti-Israel. They call for the end of Israel. They don't call for a two-state solution. They say, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. It's all against Israel. And that's the key point that has to be made. These are demonstrations in favor of terrorists, in favor of murderers. Again, they remind me of the Nazi demonstrations that took place in many parts of the world during the 1930s and 1940s. And Hamas should be treated exactly the way Nazis have been treated, the Ku Klux Klan has been treated, and other despicable organizations have been treated. Somebody said to me the other day that they didn't think a two-state solution would work, but they thought it might be possible to have a three-state solution where the West Bank remained autonomous and Gaza remained autonomous, but you didn't try to figure out some way to combine the two. Does that make any sense to you? It does, and that would be up to the Palestinian people. If they want to have a separate Gaza state, they could. You know, when Israel made its peace offers, one of the peace offers was to connect the Gaza Strip to the West Bank through a series of roads or tunnels that would be ceded to the Palestinian Authority to create a better connection. But who knows if the Palestinian people want to have a separate entity in Gaza and a separate entity on the West Bank, that would be up to them as long as they do it peacefully. Israel and the United States have no interest in what form of government the Palestinians decide for themselves as long as they don't attack innocent people. That's the only point of relevance. This has been great. I want to thank you for joining me. You're a remarkable student of life as well as law. You have been an amazing influence in American politics and government for two generations. I really appreciate also you're talking about your new book, which will be available on Amazon.com for pre-order now, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas, Barbarism. This has been a very, very good conversation, and I thank you for taking the time. Two old professors get together. (laughs) It's always been a pleasure talking to you, and may you live a long and good and productive life. Let's do this every few years as we grow old together. Thank you to my guest, Alan Dershowitz. You can get a link to pre-order his new book, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism, on our show page at NewtsWorld.com. NewtsWorld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is New World. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point 
in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another Round. We had a big bear of a man who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.